One of the things that the Bible says about God's nature over and over again is that he's full of loving kindness. The beautiful Hebrew word is hesed, and it speaks of God's loyal love. God is kind, but his kindness does run out. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance, but it's possible to reject the kindness of the king. We'll look a little deeper at that subject, the sobering subject of that kindness rejected, today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. How long does it take to get your dignity back? You may be in here this morning and something happened over the holidays and man, you're, you're trying to figure out how to deal with a wound. Someone said something sideways to you, someone humiliated you. Some of you can remember a statement made to you on a childhood playground. That's how deep wounds can go. Words do hurt. And actions like this obviously make it even worse. Jericho, by the way, if you look at verse 5, stay in Jericho until your beards grow, was the first Israelite settlement west of the Jordan River on the main road back to Jerusalem. Here's the application. David comforted these men in their humiliation, spared their dignity. He allowed for their honor to be restored. This way they wouldn't have to face their families, friends, and stand shamed in the royal court. David said, just stay there. And oftentimes when we're hurting, thinking about David casting the shadow of Jesus, that's what Jesus says to us. He allows us to regain our dignity. He doesn't bring up the old wounds and the old mistakes that we've all made. Praise God. He's no longer counting our sins against us. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sin, O Lord, who could stand? Certainly not I. So David allowed them to get their dignity back. He let them stay in Jericho. Now, when the sons of Ammon, six, saw that they had become odious to David, one version says a stench in David's nostrils, this is what they saw. The sons of Ammon sent and hired the Arameans, some of your versions will say the Syrians, of Beth Rehob, the Arameans of Zobah, 20,000 foot soldiers, the king of Makkah. This guy was a ancient car dealer in the area of Boston, Maka, Ma sorry, I just, <laughs> with 1,000 men, <laughs> Pastor John gave that to me this week, and I told him if it bombed, I was going to blame him, so there you go, and the men of Tob with 12,000 men. Now, the sons of Ammon saw that they'd become odious to David, but was David really angry with the men? I don't know. I know David was unhappy, certainly, but they saw it this way. Do you think sometimes people see God in a way that is not accurate to how God feels about them? Jesus said God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world would be what? Saved through him, John 3, 16 and 17. So sometimes people have this view of Jesus or God that's not accurate. And so they saw this and they began to hire what we would call 
military mercenaries. They thought, well, if David comes to war against us, we can't handle that, and we've made him angry. But here's the deal. Why did you make him angry? You didn't need to do that. You don't need to tug on the tiger's tail. Some people, I just, I just pick a little bit. I, I pick, see what happens. Why do you do that? Well, they started to hire mercenaries. Write down 1 Chronicles 19.6. They hired troops from the north, including Syrians, Arameans. They hired 33,000 soldiers, if you do the math on the passage we just read. They joined the Ammonite army in attacking the Jewish army. You try to fight God, it's a losing battle. Your arms are too short to box with God. But people do it. The end of the book of Revelation says that people are going to line up for the battle of Armageddon and fight against God. Can you imagine being one of the soldiers? Where'd they say he's coming from, Fred? Well, somewhere up there. Get your your cannon ready. What in the world? The Egyptian army realized they were fighting against God when he opened the sea for the people of Israel. Not a good idea to fight against the creator of the universe. But people do it. I, I think I'll fight him. What? And so they begin to gather this army. When David heard of it, he sent Joab, his chief commander, all the, and all the army, the mighty men. Here's David's mighty men, which we'll read more about later. And it looks like he just put the army on standby. And the sons of Ammon came out and drew up in battle array at the entrance of the city, or the, their city gate, while the Arameans of Zobah and of Rehob and the men of Tob and Makkah <laughs> trying to get over the car thing now. Anyway, were by themselves in the field. Their army was ready to advance in battle. They assembled in the capital, which was called Rabbah. Other troops they had recruited were from the surrounding nations took a position separate in the open country. The war was on. Sadly, none of this had to happen. How did this start? David was trying to console the son of the snake. And now, full-scale war. Unnecessary. They've spent a ton of money to try to hire these mercenaries. Now, when Joab saw that the battle was set against him in front and in the rear, he had the people of Ammon, he had the other ones that were hired from the north, he selected from all the choice men of Israel and arrayed them against the Arameans. Warren Wearsby says, Joab faced two armies who were using what's called a pincer movement to defeat Israel. But the Syrians and Arameans coming from the north and the Ammonites coming from the south. Joab wisely divided his forces and put his brother Abishai in charge of the southern front. And with the Lord's gracious help, Joab's about to defeat the northern troops as well. Notice verse 10. The remainder of the people he placed in the hand of Abishai, his brother. He arrayed them against the sons of Ammon. And he said, if the Arameans are too strong for me, you shall help me. Literally, you shall become my salvation. But if the sons of Ammon are too strong for you, then I will come to help you. 
be strong. Let us show ourselves courageous for the sake of our people, for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what is good in his sight. All of a sudden, there were, there was a, Enemies coming from everywhere against the people of God. And sometimes that's how the Christian life feels. Feels like we have enemies coming from every direction. And we need other brothers and sisters to stand with us. And when we're not feeling strong, we need their help. And when they're not feeling strong, we can be their help. Do you have those kinds of relationships? Do you have someone that you can say, I'm not doing good, man. Pray for me. Well, 1 Corinthians 16, 13 talks about being strong and courageous, acting like men. We need to be strong. Verse 12 says, be strong. Let us show ourselves courageous for the sake of our people. We need to be strong. Strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. How do you do that? You put on the full armor of God and you take your stand against the schemes of the devil. I was talking to a young man recently, and I said, look, courage is not the absence of fear. In fact, I told somebody else recently, everything that God has asked me to do as a Christian has been out of my comfort zone. Can I get a witness? God, I have discovered, is in the stretching business and he never lets me stay comfortable. I prefer comfort. I like that chair that I can just hit the electronic thing. How many of you have tried those things in the store? You get the massage and you get to sit in the chair. Whoa. <laughs> like it. However, God doesn't let me stay there. He is in the stretching business. And do you know when you're being used by God and growing, when you're not comfortable and you say, I can't do this, and God says, good. Now maybe you'll rely upon me. Okay. And so Joab and the people who were with him drew near the battle against the Arameans, and they fled before him. By the way, it doesn't even say that they fought. It says that they drew near to the battle and the Arameans hired mercenaries, got the silver and said, eh, no thank you. <laughs> We're out of here. The enemy looks scary, but the Bible says submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Listen to it. Submit to God. That's the key. Resist the devil and he will flee. He will. He must. That's a Bible verse. So the sons of Ammon saw that the Arameans fled and they went, uh-oh. And they also fled before Abishai. No record of a battle. And entered the city. They went back to their capital city and Joab returned from fighting against the sons of Ammon and came to Jerusalem. Might have came back to David and said, well, that was easy. <laughs> what happened? Well, we just showed up and the guys turned tail and they're gone. Could have been God's supernatural intervention. There may have been some conflict that's not recorded here, but they bailed. 
Hey, listening family, I want to tell you a little bit more about the store at walkintruth.com, and I'd like to highlight a teaching we have up there. It's called The Anatomy of a Fall, and it's from 2 Samuel 11 and 12. How can we keep from falling to sexual sin in a culture like ours? Well, we've tackled this and put it on the radio recently. I know you can benefit from it. You can also pass it along to a friend. It's available in CD and DVD format. And you go to walkintruth.com, click on the store. And when you purchase a product, you are partnering with us to help us reach more people like you. When you buy something, it goes directly to paying for radio airtime. So walkintruth.com, click on the store and look for the anatomy of a fall. Purchase it, pass it along to somebody else, and you'll be partnering with this radio ministry. We appreciate it. God bless you. When you're not comfortable and you say, I can't do this, and God says, good. Now maybe you'll rely upon me. Okay. And so Joab and the people who were with him drew near the battle against the Arameans, and they fled before him. By the way, it doesn't even say that they fought. It says that they drew near to the battle, and the Arameans hired mercenaries, got the silver, and said, eh, no thank you. <laughs> we're out of here. The enemy looks scary, but the Bible says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Listen to it. Submit to God. That's the key. Resist the devil and he will flee. He will. He must. That's a Bible verse. So the sons of Ammon saw that the Arameans fled and they went, "Uh uh-oh. And they also fled before Abishai. No record of a battle. And entered the city, they went back to their capital city, and Joab returned from fighting against the sons of Ammon and came to Jerusalem. Might have came back to David and said, well, that was easy. What happened? Well, we just showed up and the guys turned tail and they're gone. Could have been God's supernatural intervention. There may have been some conflict that's not recorded here, but they bailed. And so the Arameans saw that they had been defeated by Israel and they gathered themselves together. Now, oftentimes after the enemy flees, he does regroup. Luke 4.13 says, after the devil tempted Jesus, he left until a more opportune time. So you have one victory over the enemy. It's cool, it's good, but don't get too proud. I took care of that. The disciples came back to Jesus and they said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. We say we use the name of Jesus and bam, people are being delivered. And Jesus said, don't rejoice that the demons are subject to you in my name. Rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. Now we want to get as many consistent victories as we can but we have to be careful. Now, Hedededzer, he was the uh, previously conquered king of Zobah. You can write down chapter 8, verse 5. They seem to never learn, because here he is. He sent and brought out the Arameans who were beyond the river. They came to Halem and Shobach. Shobach, the commander of the army of Hedededzer, led them. 
Now, when it was told David, 17, he gathered all Israel together, crossed the Jordan, came to Helam, the site we believe is about 40 miles east of the Sea of Galilee. And the Arameans arrayed themselves to meet David and fought against him. But the Arameans fled before Israel, 18. David killed 700 charioteers. The Chronicles account says 7,000. So there's a little bit of a, there's a transmissional question here about which number is accurate. Of the Arameans and 40,000 horsemen struck down Shobach, the commander of their army, and he died there. And when all the kings of the servants of Hadadezer saw that they were defeated by Israel, they made peace with Israel and served them. So the Arameans feared to help the sons of Ammon anymore. They said, basically, all the silver in the world won't make it worth it. We're not helping you guys anymore. We're not fighting against David anymore. At some point, hopefully you've become convinced not to fight the king anymore. You know, it was said of Israel that they were a stubborn and stiff-necked people. And over and over again, God had to discipline his own people to get them to wake up. And it still happens today, according to Hebrews 12, that God disciplines the sons and daughters in whom he delights. In fact, one way you know you're a Christian is if you've been disciplined lately. I won't ask for a raise of hands, but sometimes you know you belong to the Lord when you got a little spanking. And God said, don't go there anymore. And so they ended up serving David. The Arameans made peace with him. And they feared to help the sons of Ammon. And now Joab is waiting to siege the Ammonite capital of Rabbah. Now, go to chapter 12. This is the section we need to finish in this chapter. Now we get the end of the story. Now Joab, 1226, fought against Rabbah, the sons of Ammon, captured the royal city. Joab sent messengers to David and said, I have fought against Rabbah. I have even captured the city of waters. Now therefore gather the rest of the people together and camp against the city, capture it lest I capture the city myself and it be named after me. And so David gathered all the people, went to Rabbah, fought against it, and captured it. Now we're talking about the, the royal city, the headquarters of Ammon. And he took the crown of their king from his head, 30. Its weight was a talent of gold, very heavy. And in it was a precious stone. And it was placed on David's head, and he brought out the spoil of the city in great amounts. Revelation 19.12 says of Jesus, his eyes are a flame of fire. Upon his head are many diadems or many crowns. He has a name written upon him which no one knows except himself. He is king of kings, lord of lords. And in the ancient world, when a king conquered another king, he would take his crown and put it upon his head. And Jesus wears many crowns because he is king of what? Kings. He's lord of lords. He's lord of every area. The king of Ammon, by the way, didn't need to go through this, but he ended up giving up his crown. And one day, of course, Jesus will rule and reign from Jerusalem, as I've mentioned. 
And so now he took the crown. He also brought out the people who were in it, set them under saws, sharp iron instruments, and iron axes, made them pass through the brickland. Thus he did to all the cities of the sons of Ammon. Then David and all the people returned to Jerusalem. NIV may help us here. He brought out the people who were there, consigning them to labor with saws and with iron picks and axes. He made them work at brick-making. He did this to all the Ammonite towns. Then David and his entire army returned to Jerusalem. None of this had to happen. The sons of Ammon ended up paying incredible consequences. And for what? To fight against the king. And one day there are going to be people who knock on the door, and this is in many of the kingdom parables, and they're going to say, Lord, Lord, open for us. And Jesus is going to say to them, I never knew you. By the way, it doesn't say, I knew you once and now, you know, you've blown it. It says, I never knew you. Now, as we are getting ready to take communion, we have a couple of parables I want to mention. I'm going to take you over to John's gospel, John 15. And I want you to think about this delegation that came to, Jesus, came to uh, this king, Hanun, representing Jesus. Jesus said to Saul, 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 why do you persecute me? Jesus takes persecution personally. And when Jesus came to the planet, he told these kingdom parables about a father having a wedding for his son and inviting guests, but the guests began to make excuses. And he talked about the parable of the vineyard. And he said that those who were renting the vineyard realized that the son was the heir. They said, come, let us kill him and take the vineyard. And he would tell stories about, what do you think the, the Lord of the vineyard will do to those people? What do you think's gonna happen? And Jesus arrives on the planet. No one ever spoke like him. No one ever did the miracles that he did. He unstopped the ears of the deaf. He opened the eyes of the blind. He delivered demonically possessed people. He spoke to the sea and it was calmed. He raised the dead. And the religious leadership, instead of acknowledging him and acquiescing to his kingship, they knew who he was. They sought to kill him. And in John 15, read verses 24 through 27 with me. Jesus, getting ready to go back to the Father, says these words. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, or had done, 15, 24, no one else did, they would not have sin. But now they have both seen and hated me and my Father as well. They have done this in order that the word may be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. And then he says, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness of me. And you will bear witness also because you have been with me from the beginning. They hated me without a cause. I want you to just take a moment 
Picture the Via Dolorosa, the way of sorrows, and picture your suffering king. How did they treat him? He came on a mission of mercy, a mission of consolation, a mission of kindness. And he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become what? Children of God. And there they beat him with that cat of nine tails and opened up his body. And there they made him carry the death instrument of the cross. And they plucked out his beard and they spit in his face and they exposed him. Did they rip out half of his beard to shame him? There are many scholars that believe they derobed him as well. They shamed him in every possible way. Do you see the connection? They did this to the king. And they should have done it to me. The Bible says that Jesus bore my shame. He despised the shame, but he did it for me. He was humiliated instead of me. He was exposed instead of me. He bore my penalty at the cross. And he did it for love. And the cross stands at the center, the precipice of time. And you have two options. You can either receive the Jesus who died on that cross and rose from the dead and see that God's demonstrating his love for you at the cross, that while you were a sinner, Christ died for you, or you can say no. Spurgeon said, if you can walk by that cross, see the crimson flow, the blood that comes down, and remain unmoved, there's something wrong with you. This is how God loved you. This is the mission of mercy he came on. And this is the message that we preach. God's kindness and love for us in Christ Jesus. Have you met him? Do you know him personally? Have you trusted in him for your salvation? To be your king, your Lord, your friend, your hope? Hey, listening family, I want to tell you a little bit more about the store at walkintruth.com. And I'd like to highlight a teaching we have up there. It's called The Anatomy of a Fall, and it's from 2 Samuel 11 and 12. How can we keep from falling to sexual sin in a culture like ours? Well, we've tackled this and put it on the radio recently. I know you can benefit from it. You can also pass it along to a friend. It's available in CD and DVD format. And you go to walkintruth.com, click on the store, and when you purchase a product, you are partnering with us to help us reach more people like you. When you buy something, it goes directly to paying for radio airtime. So walkintruth.com, click on the store, and look for the anatomy of a fall. Purchase it, pass it along to somebody else, and you'll be partnering with this radio ministry. We appreciate it. God bless you, and we'll catch you next time on Walk in Truth. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.